Alrighty, so welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, did I get catch that right? Were you wearing a new set of colors last week? I was either on Insta or Twitter or something, You mean sized up for... You mean my kilt? My kilt yeah. debut? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. not... It wasn't uh, Donaldson, though, was it? Um, it was the Scottish, it was the national standard or, uh, I can't remember, but it's, it was, <laughs> it was the one that, uh, we all agreed on me, no. um, my sister's roommate and my brother-in-law, um, were all wearing kilts for my sister Alexandria's wedding in June, um, by her command. So. <laughs> oh, and you're getting sized up now. Okay. I thought, yeah, I was like, yeah. I mean, we could talk about the, the the ins and outs of kilt shopping another time. But oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's apparently uh, so in demand you have to book this early. So, yeah, that is early. well. Congratulations to her. <laughs> uh, I don't know if she listens to the show, but anyway, <laughs> open sources. Congratulations to you with your new kilt. <laughs> <laughs> open sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. As we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward 6 City Councillor Mark McKinnon, who will join us to talk about a stacked agenda at this week's Committee of the Whole. And fair warning, he gets a little spicy near the end. Yeah, Uh, that will be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the past week, including Boris. You know him, you love him, but he's in deep, deep trouble for allegedly running 10 Downing Street like Animal House. So is this the untimely end of Boris? But first, uh, we have conservative politicians over here making waves, um, including uh, our first, perhaps only, uh, candidate in the conservative leadership race, uh, Pierre Polivier. He has declared his candidacy. Uh, This comes less than a week after Aaron O'Toole was ousted. Uh, it was only announced after we finished recording last week, but Candace Bergen is the interim leader. And she got off to a rousing start uh, by saying that uh, there were good people on both sides of the convoy debate, which is exactly the type of analysis you would expect of someone who got their picture taken wearing a MAGA hat. But I digress. <laughs> uh but I guess the, the big news um, from conservative politicians this week is that the pandemic is over. Scott Moe and Jason Kenney have declared it so. So we made it, everyone. We, we got through to the other side. <laughs> Isn't that amazing with all the kicking off going in Ottawa and other places that magically mm-hmm. all the mandates are being removed just like that? Whereas, I don't know, a couple, I specifically recall. A couple few weeks prior, uh, Jason Kenney talking about, oh, yes, all children in schools will get masks. And, mm-hmm. you know, on the one hand, you're saying we need these measures. But now it's just, you know, rip the masks off. You forget the QR codes. Forget <laughs> everything because it's done. And it's weird because the, the tone has shifted. And I don't know if it was inadvertent or not, but in some of the news, it's, it's like was talking as if uh, the legacy news, as the uh, Ottawa people would call it legacy mm. news media mm-hmm. saying that you know, the tone has shifted to like, well, it is actually over. And then <laughs> there's doctors and the usual people. Are like, Wait a second. Hold on. It's not done. Mm-hmm. Regardless, regardless of who's, who is uh, blocking streets, 
be it in Ottawa or France or Adelaide or wherever they have their um, blocking the roads now. Yeah, it's uh, it's something else. Mind you, uh, yeah, it seems to be spreading across the country too because I kept hearing as the day went on or as the past 24 hours went on, mm. I was like, okay, Nova Scotia is going to be and you know, name all the provinces, Newfoundland, Labrador. We just had this countrywide thing where it's like, okay, we're just going to drop everything. And then uh, with, with Doug Ford earlier in the week when, when the threat was, and they did come when the, the uh, so-called Truckers Freedom Convoy came to Toronto. And he's like, like what are they doing? The, you know, the mandates are coming off soon anyway. He was doing this whole like, oh, you know, don't, don't come here because it's going to be dropped. So, right. you know, treading on some ah, thinnish ice with this, if uh, – the numbers, there, the, the numbers are trending down, but I mean, there's still a hell of a high graph that goes along with Omicron and the number of deaths too. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's as if that's just been, well, you know, we'll just we'll just put that aside because a couple hundred truckers are mad. Well, I mean, Patrick Brown, who we, we were talking about uh, before we started recording, um, you know, he comes out Wednesday and he says, uh, well, the number of hospital cases in Brampton are down from 110 to 38. So like, why can't we just like reopen everything now? And it's like, okay, well maybe considering the way we run hospitals, the hospital staff who are, I guess not our heroes anymore. Um, Cause you know, uh, they're the kind of the ones who are saying this isn't over yet. Um, you know, maybe we should get like zero. Ca- I mean, that may be unreasonable, but you know, maybe less than 10 cases in the hospital before we start time. Cause on top of all this is the huge backlog. I mean, this isn't over for healthcare workers. Even if it was over today, if like there was no new COVID cases today, this would not be over for healthcare workers. They have a crap pile of procedures and surgeries in the backlog to catch up on. Also, how about like letting them catch their breath? How about having a day off without thinking about, you know, the 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 typhoon of new hmm. cases that's coming tomorrow or whatever comes next and by the way Jason Kenny have you forgotten about the best summer ever like didn't that not blow up in your face <laughs> big time yeah yeah and it's i i saw some of Scott Moe's announcement and he made that terrible and incorrect comparison about the well you know vax and unvax they're just all getting it anyway you know it, it's it, that's not an even comparison it's like saying that the the uh, protesters in Ottawa are an even, rep- an even representation of Canada. Canada's split down the middle. No, it isn't. That comparison yeah. between the yeah. vaxxed and the unvaxxed is the same kind of comparison where it's like, no, it's not. If you look at the bigger picture, it's it's uh, your, your numbers are incorrect. So to say that is actually incorrect. And Jason Kenney comparing, you know, I don't know if he was freewheeling when he compared this to the, it reminds me of the way we treated people with AIDS oh in the 80s. Oh my God. Like the worst part, he, he apologized for it, but it's like, what <laughs> on earth made you say that? We know you hate gay people. Yeah. We know you hate AIDS people with AIDS. You hate mm-hmm. same sex. You hate these things. Mm-hmm. Why are you using that as your comparison? Mm-hmm. Why don't you just say, you know, because Coots is blocked because Coots Alberta is blocked and we are scared of losing, you know, market share to these people. And this is the same in, in Saskatchewan too. It's with Scott Moe. What, what are they called again? The Buffalo party. He's terrified of them. So he I, needs to, he needs to present and say, no freedom, baby. You know, it's just masks. Pasha. We don't care. 
And it blew up in his face anyway. Kenny, I mean, because as soon as after right at almost right after that announcement, what happened at Coots? Um, they weren't standing in the way at the border, but they certainly started to stand in the way again after that announcement. Gee, do you think that emboldening extremists can blow back on you? Whoops. Yeah, you know, I think that's the most dangerous thing. I mean, this wasn't kind of technically on our agenda to talk about, but there was the <laughs> the, um, the the scrum with Joel Lightfoot yesterday of the Liberal oh, yeah. Party. And I don't necessarily, I question his motives about whether or not he's trying to get some attention or not. I mean, that's a big if, but his points were essentially correct. We need to, like, there is an arbitrary nature to some of the rules now. It just see, like, when you can fill... I was going to say Maple Leaf Gardens, but that's been that's not that's long gone. (laughs) (laughs) But if you fill the Scotiabank (laughs) Arena, but you can only fill a restaurant 50 percent, there's a certain illogic to people uh, for that. If you can fill people in uh, like the movie theater and say it's okay to take off masks and eat while you have kids in school wearing masks. I understand that there's a certain cognitive dissonance with people in that. And we should be able to have these conversations about, okay. What do we need to do, scientifically speaking, to either learn to live with COVID-19 or do what it takes to finally shove it out the door so we can get back to quote-unquote normal? That would be a conversation I would love to see had. But as evidenced after Lightfoot's press conference, you know, you see people like Brian Lilly going, oh, look at this reasonable liberal politician raising some excellent points. It's like, dude, you can pick Lightfoot out of a police lineup. If you'd said Lightfoot the Brian Lilly on Monday, he would have said, you mean Gordon? Like what, you know, would be you know, when he starts singing the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald? No, I mean, maybe I don't know what Brian Lilly likes to listen to. But still, every time somebody like Lightfoot or Kenny or uh, like whoever steps up and says you know anything even remotely leaning to the possibility of siding with the convoy it is Mm -hmm. going to embolden them and i mean that's outside of a lot of people's control especially if you want to have like an honest uh conversation about things but at the same time you have to understand this and kenny should have realized it i mean you should have realized a lot of things vis-a-vis that (laughs) comparison between unvaccinated people and uh people with hiv aids in the 80s but he should have realized you announce this now those people are going to draw a straight line from their convoy to your announcement and it is only going to get worse yeah it was it was i wasn't surprised in the backbencher but they 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 usually do surface when they want something right i've never Mm -hmm. heard of this guy never Mm -hmm. never heard the name maybe saw the name in the list of when we get that grand list of who was elected where maybe in passing, but you know, no press. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe he's reaching for something who, who knows we'll see, but yeah, you're right. It wasn't, of course these, it can be kind of taken out of context. What he said, I think he was trying to say the, the, the clear pathway, if it was simpler for all of, I mean, all parties, to mm-hmm. sit down and mm-hmm. sort it out and say, here is, here's our path and, and collaborate a bit more. But instead there's mm-hmm. still that whole, well, that's I mean, we've seen it with the protests as well. Well, that's the province's responsibility. And that's actually the local police's responsibility. And that's, it's, it's the whole mm-hmm. passing it off thing rather than saying, let's collaborate on this. Where can we find crossover? Where can we, but they don't want to work with Trudeau. No, I'm not saying all of them, 
but generally when it comes to this, they don't want to work with Trudeau. Uh, the, the, the Fed send out the rapid tests. We're just getting them now. And the supermarkets in a, like a sensible distribution system for them in Ontario, we're just getting that now. Mm-hmm. How come? How come they've had millions? Mm-hmm. Why does it take this long? Is it because there's an election coming? Is it because they want to make the feds look bad? Don't mess with people's lives when it comes to stuff like that, right? And that's what people are tired of, whether it is the, the you know, the protesters to their degree, whatever they read into it. But every everyone, the, the it's commonly accepted that everyone is tired of this. So it's like, okay, show yeah. us the way. Show us. And that's, I think that's what Mr. Backbencher was trying to say. <laughs> light foot, light body. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's he's uh, so well known. I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, uh, should we t- talk briefly about Pierre, our uh, P- our, yeah. our 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 favorite guy? <laughs> yeah, my favorite guy. <laughs> it, I, it sort of ties into everything that's happening. It's, it's he's definitely riding the protester wave a little bit, having met with them. Um, I should say light bound, Joel light bound, light bound. That's right. When you're saying light foot, I'm like, yes, there you go. Oops. Maybe we'll hear more from him in the future as we will with, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting little video. I'm sure you watched it there. Uh, lots to pick apart in that. Um, I'm going to say something positive about Polyev. Oh, I have found out. Okay. Go ahead. He, and this is from more than one source that he's very well liked in his writing, and that's why he's always mm. elected with such a with with such a big. Uh, it's not a massive majority, but it's enough. It's sizable enough, right? Interesting, and yeah. And or plurality, I guess you will say, not really majority, mm. but uh, yeah. Supposedly he takes care of his constituents, which I would think in an in an environment or an area like Ottawa, you need to do. However, mm-hmm. I guess in this, you know, recently he's probably let them down to some degree, uh, considering what's going on right in front of the the uh, House of Parliament there. But he, it, it's he's just oh man, I don't know. Having said that, having finally said something <laughs> positive about the guy. It's everything else, right? Just because I think, you know, just because you're good in your constituency doesn't mean you are the person for this gig. And he shows his, the true colors, I guess, or the 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 face to the rest of the country that he wants to show, which is that whole, that we're so used to, Skippy's uh, performance art mm-hmm. of being a, a, a good card-carrying conservative who deeks, you know, too heavily to the right. What was that bit at the end? Did you hear that bit at the end? He quoted, I thought he said Headley like the band, but it's Henley like the, there's that poem Invictus. Right. Which is, you know, famous if you've had a classical education, I suppose some people have heard of it, like the Invictus games. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I was like, what, dude, are you like throwing this in to look smart or whatever? Like, I, I'm pretty sure everybody's, you know, most people haven't heard of that guy. Standing out in front of Parliament, probably haven't heard of the guy. It's almost as if you're trying a little too hard getting right out of the gate. He didn't even say what party he was running for. Mm. He didn't even mm. say, I, I'm, he didn't say he was running for the conservative leadership, which is the job he's actually running for. Right. He wants to be prime minister. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Everyone knows that, especially here at open sources. We know that. Well, I think he even says in the thing that he's running to be prime minister. He's not running to be the, or, or I mean, the, the, the method by which he will be prime minister is he has to be leader of the conservative party. And I mean, fair enough. The, the, the Toronto star, headline i liked was pierre polivar is too nasty not to win the conservative leadership (laughs) which i think is true he is very good at the sort of gutter sniping game on social media which frankly seems to be 
all that grassroots people in the conservative party seem to care about. It's like, if you look like you're winning on Twitter and the social medias, um, you're winning in real life. I mean, and that may serve him well um, in uh, a conservative leadership contest, but it will not serve him well running cross country, um, especially running against Justin Trudeau, who actually does pretty good, not, he, he doesn't win all the time, but he does for the most part during campaigns not to go tries not to go negative. And uh, I have to f- think at this point, Justin Trudeau's probably used to Pierre Polivare's very distinctive form of negative attack. And um, I mean, and that's going to be that's going to be tricky. I, I mean, it's these are very interesting times. I'm still of the opinion that. Trudeau probably can't run again. But having said that, I think it would probably be Justin Trudeau's dream to run against Pierre Polybert. Oh, I mean, yeah. By, yeah. By the time you kind of get, you know, the liberals have been in power, what, seven years? So that's not terribly long. And I mean, there have been scandals, but not not a they haven't been big enough like there's been no ad scan or anything like that to like really sink him so i mean it's entirely possible he could make it through to the next election and yeah. i think those odds go up if he's facing it off against polyvar but i mean at the same time who is going to stand against polyvar i don't know nobody it doesn't seem like people are lining up to do it everyone wanted aaron o'toole gone but um precious few seem to want to take his place and of course, his name's being floated. And I've even seen in more than one place Christian Freeland being floated as a replacement for Trudeau. And that doesn't come from nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that plays into what you're saying there in terms of you know who could potentially be the next leader of the liberals. Because, yeah, when do things always go stale? It's usually after 10, right? 10 mm-hmm. years, unless there's something going on like a world war or whatever. It's like 10, <laughs> the depression. Uh, 10 years, yeah. And then, or COVID, I <laughs> or suppose. Tim, or, or Tim Hudak's leading your party. Oh, or Tim, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yikes. Um, moving right along, though. Speaking of parties, uh, Boris Johnson is a wash in, and I can't believe they actually called it this, party gate. Um, (laughs) accusations of numerous social gatherings at 10 Downing Street, even though there was a pandemic on, including famously uh, a day last year where there were two parties at Downing Street uh, the day before the Queen of England sat alone at her husband's funeral um, because of COVID restrictions. And that that included an instance where staffers went down the street to the wine store and filled a suitcase with wine. So, um, (laughs) I mean, it's it's one of these scandals that are just like so silly, so juicy. And because Boris is essentially a kind of cartoon character himself, it's it just, it's, it's, it's no wonder that it's actually gotten so much airplay here in North America either. <laughs> yeah. The clown prince for sure. And <laughs> the latest revelation today is that you've, you've probably seen the picture. There's been quite a few mm-hmm. of him at a party and there's a guy with a, a wearing some tinsel mm-hmm. and you can see a bag over the security camera. Well, now there's like a you know, same shot, slightly different angle. And then there's a big bottle of wine in it after he had said, look, there was no, the, these were work meetings, not parties. It's like, you mm-hmm. should be able to tell those apart, especially when they're in, they're essentially in your house. 
10 yeah. times feet is where you live. It is your house, right? So it's like, you would know whether there was a party going on in your house or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is real. I mean, this has touched a massive nerve in the UK because it's like, well, look, I couldn't go see my relative who was dying and, you know, their death count obviously a lot higher than ours, among the other things. You can't gather with people in that. Meanwhile, you're having a party and twisting it up. So, of course, in true Boris fashion, what does he do? He creates another scandal mm-hmm. with uh, or tries to create a counter scandal uh, with Keir Starmer, the leader of the of the Labour Party, saying that, you know, he didn't prosecute uh, known pedophile Jimmy Savile, who's actually a good friend of Lady Thatcher's, by the way, was a conservative and campaigned <laughs> the conservatives. So Boris throws this out in Parliament and then. Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party, has these protesters you know, along the lines of the ones we see in, in Ottawa chasing him down, saying, "Why didn't you prosecute Jimmy Savile?" It's yeah. like Jimmy Savile was on the Conservative team, yeah, as a campaigner. But this, this is this is a classic Boris Johnson move. Real, just or like it, 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 common in politics too. But this, he's very good at it. It's like, okay, well, the heat's on me. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna create this thing out of thin air. Keir Starmer couldn't have done anything about Jimmy Savile. He could, literally couldn't have done nothing. Couldn't have done nothing. Oh, boy. He couldn't have done nothing. He couldn't have done anything in his position. I went all London there just for like a brief second. There, It happens. I mean, and that's really dangerous, too, because, like to have like a member of part, especially over something like child abuse, which, you know, brings out the QAnon peeps. And the people mm-hmm. who who believe in QAnon ideology, although they don't they say they're not QAnon. But yeah, I mean. It's not like MPs in the UK have been stabbed to death twice in the last 10 years. Oh, yeah, actually, that's a lot like that. But yeah, mm. that's I mean, that's that's not just playing politics. That's like playing super dirty. I mean, he, he basically painted a target on on uh, Sir. He is a Sir, isn't he? Sir Keir. Oh, yeah. probably. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, there was a picture making the rounds of him getting. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's just horrible. And it does nothing to answer the fact that, um, you know, you can say, oh, I didn't know it was a work function or, I, or I, you know, I thought it was a work meeting or something like that. But, I mean, um, it's being investigated by the Met, the Metropolitan Police. The full report from Sue Gray could not be released because it's now a criminal investigation. So, you know, we can joke and jive about it, but... Um, that there are serious charges. And on top of this, and, and it, I mean, people have pointed this out, people do look at uh, the clown prince, as you say, and kind of, you know, water off a duck's back. But I mean, this is part and parcel of a certain, certain elitism that Boris Johnson doesn't necessarily represent sitting there with his baggy suit and hair uncombed. But I mean, this is like straight up like privileged scion uh, alum of Eton. This is like, you know, life has always been a frat house for Boris Johnson. So naturally, when wherever he goes, he brings a frat house with him. So, I mean, this is very much about a culture of indulgence at Downing Street in so much as just about like just like the bare, you know, appearances of, of you know, a prime minister who's not following his own advice. And the thing is, Boris Johnson, although no one was going to call him a COVID hero, um, he was on his way. He was heading down the Trump and Bolsonaro alley. And then he gets COVID right off the bat and he changes course. He could have come out of, he could have, he could have come out of this. Well, maybe not smelling like roses, but definitely not smelling like, like frat 
party vomit <laughs> like he does like he does now but i mean yeah. he just you know he just shot his own kind of legacy in the foot it's like you know it could have been like we didn't think of anything of boris but when the pandemic fell he rose to the occasion now it's like oh boris well like he rules for thee not for me so yeah and his the interesting part of this or some of it is the the story spilling out from the inside dominic cummings which is a name people may know mm. was a uh, a former aide He's he's a kind of a let's call him like a Warren Kinsella type who will just work for any party and he's super smart. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the stories that he has, and he was saying about these pictures is like, oh, that's not the only picture of that party. Yeah, right. He's like, you know, <laughs> you, the, the real dirt is still there somewhere, and he's he's been sort of dribbling it out a little bit because he he had it with Johnson and walk ended up fire. I guess he was fighting with Johnson's current wife who was the affair at some point, but was also a comms person for the conservative. Like, you know, there's, you mm-hmm. could draw the giant uh, conspiracy mural of who's what and where in this, but <laughs> suppose there was some kind of row, some kind of fight. Yeah. But one of the, one of the points that Cummings made, and it might seem like a simple one, but it sort of reflects Boris. He said that one day, and this is along the lines of Trump, Boris Johnson was really obsessed wondering whether big Ben was going to be able to bong on Brexit day which sounds like tabloid alliteration, but he was like, he spent the whole day wondering if on Brexit day, which was what, January 31st last year, mm-hmm. um, if big Ben was going to be able to bong. And, and I guess him and Cummings had a fight over. It's like, I, I won't use the language that was repeated, but it's like, <laughs> why, why are you, this is what you're worried about. All the stuff going on and COVID and the, the nation and Brexit, you know, going to, because every, all, you know, all the predictions about Brexit have come true. Things mm-hmm. are worse. Gas is higher. Uh, you know, lineups at the border, in a, unable to get products, and not because there's protesters blocking. Like everything was said about Brexit in the negative came true. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet he's worried about whether Big Ben's going to be able to chime on that day. He, he said that is Boris in a nutshell. That's his focus. He's just so self-centered, and and um, he said that to get rid of him will be fixing the drains at Ten Downing, mm. which is like. Which is a massive insult because it's like, how, how do we fix the drains? You have to get the clog out. What's the clog made of, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the I, I guess it's fifty-four letters. Or it's a longer process to get rid of uh, a, a British <laughs> prime minister or UK prime minister than it is. Uh, like it went really fast here in Canada, but there's this. You have to write a letter, and maybe it's the same with somebody you're trying to get rid of somebody who's actually the prime minister as well. A letter mm-hmm. as to why you know structural reasons as to why he must go. So mm-hmm. 54, as opposed to what was O'Toole, 30 something, right? To have the vote. And then, so it may still happen, but I think it'll happen when uh, it's, it's not even as much about Boris. Like when the Tories decide, when they decide, mm-hmm. when they've had enough of this, um, I guess that's how it would happen anyway. My, but what, My guess is when the police report comes back and if it's yeah. as bad as people think, then that which is, be- yeah, they're just, they're sending emails to people at the party. You must answer this. If it's, it's so British. It's so you must answer this email by this day. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> people that they know that were there who are in the pictures or, you know, I don't know if they were registered, but it's definitely, I mean, definitely mm-hmm. parties. Yeah. And more to come, right? More to come, which is the kind of name of the day here uh, almost every week. Anyway, we'll have to take a break here. We will come back with our interview with Mark McKinnon, who is not doing any parties so far as we know. Maybe he will. I'm kidding. I shouldn't shouldn't promise things we can't deliver. Anyway, (laughs) 
You're listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. That was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 McDonnell in downtown Guelph, the little big record shop. And John, I almost said Jonathan, John Williams, <laughs> famous, famous composer. Every single person probably on earth has heard something he's composed. Mm-hmm. Turned 90 this week, which is fabulous. Mm-hmm. And uh, that song we played, you probably know from Raiders of the Lost Ark, called The Raiders March, The Unmistakable Sound. And uh, yeah, I think movies, uh, This we're going to end credits territory, but <laughs> films of the late 20th century and even up to now probably would have been a lot different without the contributions of John Williams. Yeah. Can you, I think he's done all Steven Spielberg movies except four. Wow. And I think they are The Color Purple, where he used Quincy Jones. There's obviously West Side Story, which was... Um, Bernstein music Mm -hmm. Um, and then post no he he did the post it was ready player one he didn't do and then he didn't do bridge of spies either because John Williams was working on Star Wars at the time so those are I think those are the four Spielberg where there's no Williams soundtrack can you be on my team on movie trivia night please (laughs) we will kick so much but it won't be funny well, we'll we'll work out teams later. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we have to get to our interview with Mark McKinnon. He's the Ward Six City mm-hmm. Councilor. It was a very busy committee. The whole meeting this past Monday, uh, they talked about uh, the PACE program, environmental retrofit program. We get into that. Um, also, short term rentals and what we should do to license those or maybe not license those. Um, and the municipal accommodation tax, which is another thing that was at city council this week. So um, a lot of stuff to talk about. Let's get talking about it. Here is Ward 6's own Mark McKinnon. So Mark McKinnon, thank you so much for hopping back on with us uh, here on Open Sources. Glad to have you. Yeah, I appreciate back being back on, Adam. Thank you. Uh, before we get into sort of like more recent events, uh, stuff at committee earlier this week, um, you may recall back in March 2020, uh, you were planning on bringing a notice of motion to council about uh, having a, a revote about the development at 361 White Law Road. Uh, I, I don't know what happened to that. It just seemed to fall off the radar uh, around that time. Something happened. I can't remember. Um, but 
That was obviously <laughs> just, a just a small, just a small little thing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the OLT recently said that uh, the development is good to go. Um, they've, you know, kind of overrid the the original council decision. I know that has tweaked some noses here in my end of town, but um, I imagine you're probably thinking that was probably the right decision. Well, 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 that decision surprised no one who's paying attention. Uh, obviously, the, the what they were asking for was such a, a minor variance in compared to the overall plan. And there are some members of council who didn't like it. But, you know, the reason I wanted to bring the notice of motion forward was to save the city tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees because I knew that we would lose when it went to the uh, LR. L-O-L-T, whatever, whatever it's called now. They seem to keep changing the acronym. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so because of that, uh, yeah, my, my hope was to save a little bit of money. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. So, yeah, it's kind of shelved things. And there's no sense bringing it back once the, the kind of the, the iron was, was not there. But, yeah, it was very obvious that that was going to not go in the city's favor. And, oh, look, lo and behold, we spent tens of thousands of dollars unnecessarily defending something that you know, we should never have voted that way in the first place. I'm curious for you, is this is this kind of like a a political statement of sorts? Because I know you and your ward mate, Dominique, have, you know, you kind of do have this look on your faces when a high rise development in another one comes for Ward 6. That seems to be where the high builds are going. Um, is, it, is it important to like put a stake in the ground almost literally and say, you know what, you can build high rises in other parts of the city? Yeah, well, almost every application that city council has a problem with in a different part of the city would have got approved without any problem in Ward 6, possibly with no discussion in Ward 6. Uh, so, yeah, we, Dominique and I certainly are well aware that Ward 6 is being all the, the high density development is going there. And, and I'm, I'm a supporter of the intensification corridor and intensification nodes, whether it's there or a couple other places throughout the city. Certainly, we're getting the, the, the majority of it. Uh, and I think that's that's good. We should be getting it. But it doesn't mean it shouldn't be going elsewhere either. And the problems that are coming up uh, uh, when a development application comes to council and all the problems and questions that I'm thinking, you know, if this was Ward 6, people wouldn't be having those same problems. So, uh, yeah, it's just the way it is. Looking to some of the issues that were discussed at Monday's meeting, uh, maybe you could confirm something I was thinking, uh, maybe a bit of a generational difference in this discussion about, you know, short-term rentals, things like, uh, Airbnbs. Um, I, I, th- I think I sense maybe a bit of divide in, in terms of, uh, let's say, younger-ish councillors who uh, are, are accustomed to the apps and, and um, are accustomed sort of like that new kind of gig economy and maybe some of the older councillors for whom this is kind of uh, an undiscovered country. Is, 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 do, I, do I have that sort of right? I, I don't think that's Perhaps inaccurate, although I would say the younger counselors is a is a smaller group than the older counselors. None of us are young, but mm-hmm. yeah, certainly there are people maybe more mm, tech savvy, mm. maybe more uh, uh, social media savvy, people who are out there a little bit more and understand gig economy stuff that understand uh, stuff that goes on with apps a little bit better. It can be age oriented, but I mean, I, I won't, I won't say that it was a, a sharp divide. I think part of it is the, uh, it's almost a divide between the, the, the vision for what could be and what's reasonable versus holding on to what's 
always, what's traditional? That's a good way to put it. The traditionalist versus the people who are non-traditionalist. I very much consider myself a non-traditionalist. And mm-hmm. so, you know, stuff like Airbnb uh, has been wonders for everyone that I've talked to, people in my circle, certainly in my family is itself, doing short-term rentals is wonderful and fantastic. And I would love to have seen uh, you know, more deregulation in what we're doing, whether it's taxis, you know, I, I wanted to see the taxi sector deregulated when we're talking about uh, ride sharing as well. What did we do? We did more regulation to balance it out rather than removing it from everyone. And we're looking at the same thing with the short-term rentals. The main indication about that one though was, is it's quickly or very integrally tied in with the, the MAT, the mm-hmm. municipal uh, tax that we're looking at doing for stays. So if you're going to a hotel, we are going to be charging a, you know, say four to $7 roughly per night to stay there. And it does make sense if we have that on a hotel room, why wouldn't we also have that on a short-term rental like an Airbnb? So there's validity and kind of aligning the playing fields. We could just not do either. And that's another option. But then of course we couldn't do any of those initiatives. The reason why we we thought that a tourism dollars would be helpful. uh, We couldn't do it. I don't think equally if we had it on one type of dwelling, but not a different type of dwelling. The focus, I mean, or I guess the the concern seemed to be inordinately on party houses, which, yeah, which is just crazy. I mean, I can't believe how many times that kept coming up. Uh, right, it's just not a reality of Airbnbs in Guelph. Right, and I'm even in Toronto though. I mean, it, it's it sort of makes the news when that happens. You don't have to be sort of having your finger on the pulse of the industry. It, it, it gets bad enough that it makes the evening news. But while that was kind of the focus of the criticism, I, I can't help but feel that another area was kind of not given as, as much of a fulsome address, which is the affordability issue is, you know, you're talking about deregulation. And I think to a lot of people that probably makes sense. A lot of people run Airbnbs as a side business um, or is their business or to supplement their income. But the flip side is, isn't creating more room for, or, or I guess creating an environment where people start more Airbnbs. Does that not have an effect on affordability here? Well, well, well that's, you know, I know that argument was brought up and uh, you know, I think that that's just doesn't hold any water. Mm-hmm. Having traveled uh, fairly extensively and stated a lot of Airbnbs, the reality is Airbnb type places where you can rent whole houses are not the same types of houses that are for lower rent affordability. Those types of places aren't rented out as Airbnbs uh, typically. And I'm not saying that low affordability housing are, are slummy or it's a ghetto. No, not nothing like that. It's just the type of house. If you're going to rent out an entire house, the qualities that that house has, the, the specifics that that house has is not the same specifications that you'd want if you're looking at getting affordable housing in the city. So no one's going to be snatching up low priced houses that could go to lower income renters and shoving on the Airbnb market, not going to happen. It's just, it's a completely different market. What you're getting is you would transition a house from a single family, uh, doesn't have to be detached, but a single family dwelling that's individual for a family. And that's being moved over to short-term rental housing with an Airbnb. It's not affecting the affordability market at all. I mean, I've been a realtor for 15 years. Uh, I was a mortgage broker until recently. Uh, I know, you know there's one of the few things on council where, where I know something a little bit about, and that's housing. And I just disagree with most of the arguments that are being put forward. So I, I guess, is, is there not maybe an overall, I mean, I guess that there's a couple of ways to look at it. Number one, it is 
could there be like with us, like some sort of formal structure to short-term rentals? Could there be an explosion? Like people see the opportunity in the market and does that not have an overall effect? Or are you saying that the market is for, for those short-term rentals here in Guelph is probably so small, it doesn't matter anyway. Well, well, that's exactly it. I mean, I know okay. several hotel operators and having talked to them, uh, not during the pandemic, which is obviously a little bit different, but before that, I mean, they're not sitting at 100% capacity, 100% capacity. It's like, oh, we have so many people coming to our hotels. We have no place to put them. No, <laughs> they're, they're not going to be another 300 units switching over to full houses rented out with Airbnb. We, we just don't have the population. We're not Niagara Falls. We're not Detroit uh or windsor or something on a bordering area guelph guelph is awesome great city but it's not particularly a city where a lot of people are going to be coming and staying uh for short terms that's exceeding the capacity we currently have uh, mm. there's probably a reason why hotels keep closing in this city and it's not because uh we're making it difficult for hotels to operate is there's just not that many people that want to stay in guelph in comparison to a large touristy type place and because of that this airbnb short-term rental issue is is such a an insignificant consideration because mm -hmm. it's going to affect so few things uh, so I just don't see why we'd want to make it more difficult for people to say, yeah, I wouldn't mind getting an extra one or two houses and have them as non-residential, primary residential and rent them out on, on, you know, to Airbnb people visiting a city. Hey, I think that's great. Nothing wrong with that at all. You mentioned the hotel picture, and I, and I do kind of want to address that, too, because, as you said, pretty big hotel in Guelph closed in the last year. Um theoretically the whole point of doing all these tourism initiatives is to bring more people here is it not a bit putting the cart before the ho horse uh, as it were to, to say i guess to not look at the hotel issue and say if we are attracting more people to guelph they will need a place to stay and we are currently at least one hotel down perhaps more if if some of the rumors are are to be believed you know should i guess at what point does hotel like fostering more hotel capacity become an issue yeah i i don't think it's an issue until it becomes an issue right like mm. uh if the hotel operators come to us and say wow we have we have more than 100 percent capacity at the four five six ten hotels however you consider what a hotel is uh in the city and we are completely packed and, and uh you know maybe the city should do something about that of course a hotel operator who's selling at 100 percent capacity probably doesn't want any other hotels being opened up if they can sell at 100% capacity. But so I don't think we're anywhere near a problem of what's happening because certainly with the we want the tourism dollars, but people keep thinking tourism means people coming to the city and staying multiple days. Mm. That is a form of tourism, but day trips are a much bigger form of tourism. Certainly mm. I go into Toronto pre-pandemic uh, with the family to do tourism type things or at Niagara Falls to do tourism type things. But then we drive home at the end of the day. And so some of the, a lot of this tourism dollars is not to get people to stay multiple days. Hey, if they, they are, that's great. But I would anticipate most people that come to Guelph uh, are not tourists in the traditional sense of, oh, I want to go see stuff in Guelph. And so I'm going to go and spend multiple days. It's they're coming in for a sports event for their children, or they're coming in for some sort of festival. Uh, like it's, it's a destination as opposed to tourism, which I know right. that they're obviously intrinsically linked, but I don't think that we have to worry at this point about capacity for hotel space. At least not that I've heard. I know it's pandemic, but you know, right. in two years, I don't think we're going to be seeing 90% capacity at our hotels either. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a bit about PACE, uh, the PACE program to, to 
loan, uh, basically the city would administer loans for people to uh, make green retrofit upgrades to their home. I know you have some questions. You made a, a motion to sort of refer it to the end of the month um, just to, to council could get more information. So I guess what what will it take to get you to yes? What are the questions you don't have answers for yet? Yeah, this is this is such an interesting thing because on the surface, it seems, hey, how can this possibly be a bad thing? Mm-hmm. We are going to green Guelph. That sounds good. <laughs> but when you start looking at the details, uh, then you get into some other issues. And I'll just point out a quick picture for you. I mean, and, and all the, the listeners, have you ever gone into a store and you're, you're buying some stuff and you go to the cash and, you know, you have your $5 item they put down on, on the table and then it rings up and it's $2. And they're like, oh, it was on sale. Now you had no clue it was on sale. You're like, great. I just saved money. But mm-hmm. you didn't buy the item because it was on sale. The store just lost $3 in money because they sold you something on sale and you had no clue it was on sale. You didn't buy it because it was on sale. You bought it and they just gave away money. That's what a lot of this is going to be with the PACE program. The idea of saying that we need to, to take money from the city, invest it in to get people to convert over to green energy uh, retrofits or whatnot, when they're going to do it anyway, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, which is why uh, certainly me and a few other people on council are looking at, can this be made revenue neutral for the city? Which means zero tax dollars go towards subsidizing this program. It's not to say that we don't support greenifying wealth. Absolutely we do. But there's things we can do that are not about taking tax dollars from one person and giving it to their neighbor so that they can fix their windows when they were going to fix their windows anyway because they have to. Mm. Uh, And that's what's really strange about this is everyone thinks it's such a good program. But when you look at all the details, if it, the numbers, and and this is why we need more information, because I don't understand this, this, you got the 10 million in loans, you got the 5 million in grant, and then you got this three and a half million uh, funded from the city, which isn't really clear about what that three and a half million is. Because if it is money that's lost from the city, it, it's tax dollars that's taken and implementing the program to do this. So if you're paying $3.5 million to implement $10 million of loans, hmm. that's not a good investment when if it's costing you a third of your money to loan out $10 million if you're costing three and a half. Now, if that three and a half can be recouped, that's different. And that's why I wanted information about, uh, yeah, let's bring in a, a fee structure, whether it's percentages or uh, a flat fee, whatever it is, so that anyone taking advantage of this program would have to pay for the program, not the, the general tax base. It's like parking downtown in the city. I want zero tax dollars go towards someone parking the car. There's no reason why you should be paying a portion of my money to go downtown and park. And if it's $5 an hour, that's what the actual cost of the city for you parking downtown or me parking downtown, that I should be bearing it. It's a user fee. If I have to replace my windows or my furnace, that's my house. I'm getting all the appreciation. I'm getting all the value. It should be my cost. You shouldn't have to pay to get my furnace repaired because there's a green initiative. Because if we look, if we're trying to hit this this by 2050 uh, green initiatives uh, by going net zero, which I agree, hey, let's make sure we you know do our part. I'm all for that. In the next 30 years, do you not think most people's old oil furnaces are going to need to be replaced at some time? Absolutely. Right. There's not going to be a choice in this. Do we think that most people are going to have to replace their their windows from their house that was built in the 1960s that I still have the original windows? 
that sometime in the next 30 years, they're going to have to do it. Absolutely. We're not incentivizing green initiatives with this program if we are giving $3.5 million of tax dollars City of Guelph tax dollars from residents. We're not incentivizing this stuff to happen. It's already going to happen. It's giving that discount at checkout when you don't need to. But what can we do if, if, if we can't recoup this three and a half? Because quite frankly, if we can recoup this three and a half uh, million, if that's the big cost, and now instead of a 0% loan to fix something under the PACE program, it's now going to be a 2% loan because that's the administrative fee to ensure that it costs $0 in the tax. Well, I don't really care if that goes forward like that. You know, Quite frankly, if a homeowner wants to do it that way and pay 2% or wants to get a line of credit on their house and doing it privately, it's irrelevant to me if there's no tax cost. But if we are going to say, let's spend $3.5 on green initiatives, there's far better ways we can do it than the PACE program if it's going to cost us. What if we said everyone who does green initiatives worth more than ten dollars or $20,000 on their house, whatever the value should be, show us the receipt, show us the work you've done, and you will get a bus pass for life. Mm. One, one person in your household, you'll get your photo on it, uh, and now you, have a, now you have a bus pass for life. So what are we trying to do with that? We're in trying to incentivize people getting out of cars and onto massive transit. That's something that's an incentive for that three and a half million. That's something that can make a significant impact, not giving money to people for something they were going to do anyway. Right. That's, that's my, my soapbox on that. Uh, again, I know I used to, I know mortgages. I know how easy it is for someone who's qualified to get a line of credit on their house, especially when the house value probably just doubled in the past few years. Mm. Um, you have lots of space to get a line of credit on your house at a very, very uh, lucrative rent, uh, rate. And if you don't qualify, if I own my house and I go to the bank and say, hey, I need to repair this, 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 I need 50,000. Can I get a line of credit? And, they, and the bank says, no, you're not worthy of this because of your credit line slash your income slash anything else. If the banks who make their money giving money to people and loaning it, if they think I'm not a good risk, right. why would the city think, oh yeah, sure, let's load up this person who's not considered a good credit risk with all of this extra cost and we'll just roll it onto the tax base, uh, on, onto their tax payments. Like, Why do we think we are a better judge of someone's financial capacity than banks who do this professionally. Right. Uh, there, there are so many issues with the program, the way it's done, if, if there's a cost to the city. Because quite frankly, if this is all user pay, if this is user fee, I kind of don't care what it looks like if there's no cost, because then everyone gets to make their own choice on what to do. Provided we protect predatory you know, practices. You know, if, if anybody's watched John Oliver's 20-minute rant on the PACE program in the States, it's very, very different than what we'd be implementing here. Yeah. Uh, eyes wide open. But yeah, let's make sure that we have good environmental policies that are going to push us towards the goals we want rather than something that on the surface seems good. But when you start looking at it, it's a little hollow uh, and there's a, a significant cost to it. So I guess who I guess who, who who's kind of in charge of you know getting these answers for you is it like is city staff responding to like some very specific sets of 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 qualifications that the FCM who who's offering the loan um, are making um, and and I guess how much autonomy would the city have to sort of craft its own thing to, to address your question. concerns. Yeah. I have no clue. I've read the report and it's a little light on details and I'm not blaming city staff because they probably have very few details as well. But the particular, that three and a half million, that's the, that's the big number. Um, if the FCM says we'll loan you 10 million, 
but you have to you have to be get some skin in this game as well. So we're going to give you five million on a grant, so you can run the administration. We're going to give you ten million loans at zero percent interest that you can give to your residents, but you have to have skin in the game. So if you kick in that three and a half million, you can't charge it back to the residents. Skin in the game, or we're not going to do it. That's a very different situation than uh, yeah. Well, your your portion would be three and a half, but you can kind of do whatever you want. And if you mm-hmm. want to charge that back, if you want to make it user pay based go ahead. This is the information. Staff knows what the questions are. And my goal of having the referral was so council can make an eyes wide open decision rather than let's make a decision without knowing information. And staff will come back by the end of the month regardless. But I just, I'm a kind of voter who likes to have information before I make votes. That's that's how I like voting. Are you concerned your colleagues are going to see the 10 and jump on it without thinking about the 3.5? Oh, I, I'm not concerned because it's going to happen. <laughs> like, like I've been on this council long enough. <laughs> do I know what's going to happen in the month, regardless of what they said? It, it could be a $10 million cost to taxpayers to get 10 millions in loans. And you can guarantee this council is going to approve it uh, because it's green. And as soon as you say it's green, it's socially progressive, it's a good idea. It doesn't matter what the logic is, what the rationality is. Uh, I've seen time and time again where we are more than willing to give up other people's tax dollars without looking at the actual reasons we're doing it. Um, and what, what this is going to be doing, we're not going to be subsidizing people who are at the lowest end of the housing scale that have little income. What we're going to be doing is taking people who have million dollar houses, who have $100,000 in, in upgrades to do, and they're going to do it on the backs of other people who are going to be paying the tax base when that person could have easily funded the whole thing for themselves, either with a user fee, uh, going to the bank and doing it privately. Like (laughs) we're very good at giving money to the wrong place. I think unlike the initiatives, like the supporting housing that we've done, um, you know, which is just, you know, some new information came out today about the feds kicking in some money. There Mm -hmm. is some really good that we do, but there's also stuff that we do, which I don't think is uh, well-managed. Right. Seems like a weird place to leave it, but uh, before I let you go, I it is an election year, so I do have to get uh, an answer on this question. Are, are at this point, are you thinking about re-election, or is are you eight and done? What's your thoughts? It's it's definitely a consideration. I haven't made any decisions yet. There's lots of things to consider with uh, with family and uh, goals and, and whatnot going forward. I think I still have political life left in me. I think I can still contribute positively to the city, but it might not be uh, coming in October that it would be good for me to run again. So I'd have to see what's what's going to happen. So I know that other people have you know kind of declared early, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> it's something that I'm going to spend some time uh, looking at this and, and determining what's best for me and what's best for the city. Well, unfortunately, I don't have a maybe sound effect, but uh, I will have to <laughs> I will have to take that answer for what it is. But uh, Mark McKinnon, uh, I appreciate your time and your insights today. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me on. Adam. And that was once again, Mark McKinnon. I, I can't queue up the the ding because he unfortunately there at the end did not uh, commit one way or the other to running oh, for reelection. Right. But um, but so no ding this week. Um so I'll, I'll save that. I'll save the family feud soundboard. <laughs> it's, it's survey book- says it's, eh. it's, it's bookmarked until July 31st until everyone's decided whether they're in or not. Uh, well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us, we well, can find us on our website, open sources, or on Facebook at open sources, newswire. And we're on Twitter at OS underscore 
Guelph. If you'd like to listen to the show again, download it from our website every Monday. Get it at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally and my kilt picks at Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. <laughs> and you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, particularly scheduling information, check out CFRU.ca slash shows. Find out when everything is on. And DJ, sounds good to me, is on next here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday for our regular time slot at 5 p.m. And we will see you then.